Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Women Talk Tech. Today, I'm joined by the CEO and co-founder of C-Trace, Anna Haberbosch. In this conversation, we chatted all about her experience as a founder, hiring and raising funding, an obstacle I know many female founders face in their journeys. Anna also shares her insights into her role as a CEO, or co-CEO, I should say, a title I seem to be seeing a lot more often. Anna shares why she decided to split the role and how this actually works on a day-to-day basis. Such a great conversation. Thanks again for joining me, Anna. So, Anna, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, very nice. Uh, thank you for having me. My name is Anna, Anna Haberbosch. I'm one of the founders of Seatrace. Uh, we started officially in June 2020. My personal background is in business, entrepreneurship, finance, and so on. But what I spend my days with now is traceability and sustainability in the food and beverage industry. And that's what we are really passionate about. And we try to rethink that, uh, rethink where our products come from, understand that and drive fair and environmentally conscious processes along the whole supply chain. Wow. Wow. Okay. And what does DNI mean to you? Of course, this whole topic is about diversity and inclusion. And of course, we will get into so much detail later on. Um, but yeah, I guess for you very briefly and, 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 if, and for your definition, what does it mean to you and why is it important for you? Yeah, I think diversity and inclusion, I mean, it's absolutely crucial to foster an environment um, at work or really anywhere um, that is inclusive and diverse for so many reasons. Um, what it means to me, I guess, is to create an environment where people feel valued and recognized for their unique perspectives, uh, their experiences and their backgrounds. Um, And I think any company and even more so an early stage startup like us in a fast paced environment where we kind of always have to tackle and challenge the status quo, we need people with different perspectives um, who really feel comfortable to voice their different opinions. Um, So I guess some, there are many different ways to think about it, right? Um, And maybe three that I can, think of immediately is from a business perspective, of course, you attract a larger pool of talent. Um, It happened to us many times that especially females would sit in an interview process and say, well, one of the reasons I want to work with you really is because I saw that you have two uh, female co-CEOs. And that is something that I've been looking for in the past. Um, Another thing is really we need kind of bold and entrepreneurial minds and everyone in our team has to wear so many hats. Um, And yeah, and I think diversity and it really can boost innovation in an organization and that's really important to us um a last aspect that is maybe not as obvious is that our immediate customers might maybe be a german food company um but in the end of the day we have to work with everyone along the supply chain and our goal is always to look until the farmer level you know and these organizations that we then have to communicate with and onboard, uh, they might sit in South America, Africa, or Southeast Asia. And ideally, of course, also from a marketing business perspective, our team reflects that. Um, So it it makes sense in so many ways. Yeah, yeah, wow. And honestly, I I love the story. I I love speaking with female founders for many different reasons, but yeah, really keen to go into your journey as a founder and kind of how you got to where you are now. Um, So yeah, I guess, talk me through your journey and kind of what were your main motivations in the very early days um, for founding Seatrace? Yeah, so my professional background is really a salad of so many different experiences. Um, I mean, I always thought I would become a dancer and then I ended up being a real estate agent in Spain at the age of 19. So it was all a kind of, um, I don't know, a salad of just taking any opportunity that came my way that felt right. Um, But very early on when I started my studies, um, I studied international business um, for five years in France and Germany and then did a master's in finance and entrepreneurship. And already there, I started questioning many courses. I was sitting there and I was wondering, okay, so we're always looking at risk and return. Uh, What about the impact, the environment, the why? the core of the business. Um, And I started questioning that already in the kind of investment and finance space that I was in, uh, why I digged very early into impact investing, which is all about measuring the impact that you have on people and planet, as much as you measure profit um, or risk when you make an investment decision. Um, So that very early on was super interesting to me. And then I just became more and more involved in the social entrepreneurial ecosystems in France and Germany at the time. 
Um, I worked in risk management, business development, um, and I was teaching a lot. And I was working with brands that would have direct trade opportunities to, uh, for example, African countries and sell different products like coffees or teas. Um, and they would always have a very strong impact at their core um, in these ecosystems. I saw their work and what they were doing. And I saw uh, how us as consumers, we always say that we want to take very sustainable and conscious uh, buying decisions, but we don't really do it for so many reasons. It's just so complex. Um, you maybe see something is organic certified or fair trade or whatever, but you don't know what about the other aspects of sustainability. Then you see something is packaged in plastic. You're like, mm, maybe this is worse than the other tomatoes, but you know, you cannot really make that decision. So it's just super complex. And yeah. I saw these two angles, like the work people were doing and the impact that they had, and then us being completely overwhelmed with the decisions of choosing. Um, and my co-founder at the time, Katarina, she was uh, working in different African countries, uh, supporting cooperatives on the ground to build direct trade opportunities with European markets, mainly with Germany. So she was at another screw at the supply in the supply chain, uh, yeah. but she was frustrated by the same things. Um, mm -hmm. And then we kind of sat down together and first we thought about doing, you know, just import export, supporting those cooperatives in Kenya, Malawi, Limpopo, and so on to directly import or export towards Europe. Um, but it wasn't really enough because we saw that it's a much bigger problem um, and that we wanted to tackle that at scale, although it was nice to support a few. And that's how we started C-Trace. And then it developed really quickly with new regulations, um, with new requirements, with bigger companies having those issues and us also wanting to drive change, not only for the small ones, but of course, also in the really big and complex chains. Yeah, wow, wow. And I don't wanna say this, but I'm assuming that you're maybe one of a, a few female founders in this domain, right? Um, how have you found being a female founder in this space, in this field of work? Because like you said, right, the typical customer is a, is a is say a factory or a, a massive, a, a larger company in that sense. So how have you found navigating this space as a female founder? Yeah. Um, I've been asked this question so many times and I always find it hard to answer. Um, and something I, I realized for myself is that I always need to remind myself of the bigger picture or yeah. like the more societal perspective on these situations. So for example, um, what may happen is that we do a press release and then being a female founder in the space, because there are so few, it can come with some advantages as much as with disadvantages, right? Yeah. Um, so maybe some investors will talk to you because they're looking to invest into females and they have to. <laughs> um, or maybe if in your press release, you put in the headline, female-led tech startup um, instead of impact-driven startup revolutionizes the supply chain and is the first to prove fair payment to farmers, then maybe it's more likely um, that you will get a good feature. And when I have to make these decisions, I always find my intuition to go, nope. <laughs> don't put the female in there because yeah. it's not about that. It's about what I do and why I do it. Um, and then sometimes I have this discussion with my co-founder and we talk about it and we're like, yeah, but you know, these headlines are so rare. And if we think about all of the kids who, when they're asked to draw a hero, an astronaut, a doctor, uh, they draw only male idols. Nah, um, yeah then I just remind myself, okay, there's another aspect I have to take into account. And maybe um, I just need to put that in the headline sometimes. And um, I think this is probably the case, not only in the space I'm in, but in yeah. any space. Um, and then there are so many nuances in business meetings in general, um, yeah. where I realize also um, after reading the book, you know, Invisible Women, um, the female data gap, I realized that as a female, you're often just perceived so differently and you're asked different questions. You may not notice that and the people asking the questions don't notice that necessarily, but it's true. Um, and it takes a lot of digging into that to be aware of it and to then really turn it into an advantage, which I think sometimes is possible. Yeah, yeah. And you're so right. I feel like we see that 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 kind of title in an article all the time and we gravitate towards it because you are a, a, a female-led company and that may be the case. But it's so much more than that. Um, and there's so much more to your business than just being led by two females, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs>
And I guess what's been the biggest challenge uh, about being a founder, whether you're a female founder or not, there are challenges there. So what's been the biggest challenge that you've had? And I guess, how did you overcome this? Yeah, um, I think for me, when I started, my main motivation was the cause, right? So why do we do this? What do we want to change? Um, and that it didn't change, of course, but there was something added to it that is at least as important for me now. And that is the team. Um, the people I work with, um, the way that I see them grow and work as a team. Um, I mean, we spend so much time in our workspace, so I think it's very important <laughs> to feel good and to have a really good team. Um, and I think that's also one of, or probably the biggest challenge is to build a good team, to be a good leader. Um, and I realized that my way of leading and is kind of, or to me, it's so important to have always an approach to meet everyone on eye level, to have low hierarchies, um, to be empathetic and so on. But at the same time, I'm very driven, ambitious, and I can be kind of perfectionist. So yeah. for me, uh, one of the challenges as a founder in a startup, we have such limited resources <laughs> and everyone has to wear a million hats is to sometimes just understand that I cannot always do everything 100% perfect. And sometimes in the specific situation, uh, 50%, 60%, 70% is just fine. <laughs> so I think this is one thing that just for me um, is something I had to learn. And one of the challenges that is constant, but also very exciting is to just learn how to allow others to grow in the organization. So um, just setting up the whole you know, feedback culture, making sure everyone has a plan, a career plan of how they grow and where they can grow to. And oftentimes within the organization, we don't necessarily have, you know, the C-level in each department yet because yeah. we are so young and not everyone has uh, a mentor within the organization that they can look up to. Um, and then really making sure that we get that information uh, from the outside, that we work with external people, that we support each other with educational programs or make sure we understand um, how we can grow internally as well yeah yeah and on the flip side what do you love about being a founder like what's the thing you enjoy the most about being a founder whether you're female or not but of course as a female founder I'm sure there are some great things but yeah what's the thing you like about it yeah I guess it's kind of the same thing yeah. <laughs> but there are there are other other things um at the same time so um when I had to make the decision if if I would found a startup um I kind of had two other things on my mind um, and I remember having like a coaching session with a friend of mine and then also talking to um, Bernd Klosterkemper, um, who is a partner at Ananda Impact Venture, which is like an impact driven um, investment fund in Germany, one of the first ones. Um, and I was talking to them and I was thinking, hmm, should I do um, like become a professor or um, should I go into the impact investing space with my finance background or uh, should I jump into it with Katerina, my co-founder? Yeah. Um, and in both sessions, the result was what was most important to me at the time was the people I would surround myself with yeah. um, and the drive these people have. Because um, I often found myself or pretty much always as a person in each space I was working in that would be kind of a in the driving seat or that would yeah. like push um, new projects and like, you know, the, holding the sustainability flag and so on. Um, and I realized that that was really, really important to me at the time, like having a team that is driven by the same cause um, that really wants to change the status quo and um, where we kind of share the same values. Um, and I think that is one of the things that I enjoy the most um, about C-Trace and about being a founder is because you have this opportunity to um, create a space, an environment and a team with the values that you believe in. Yeah. Um, so I think that is really, really beautiful. Of course, I don't think you can learn more anywhere else than throwing yourself in founding your own startup. Um, so I think that I'm always curious to learn more. Um, and I think that's a, a very, very steep learning curve that I've had in the, in the past years. Um, yeah, and what inspires me too is the projects we work yeah. on. Like really the, in each individual project, the change we can, we can drive, the partners we work with. Um, so that's super exciting to me, of course, as well every day.
Yeah, yeah. I love talking about what what people are actually enjoying because I think often more than more, more often than not we hear a lot about the downsides of founding a company. We hear the downsides of everything and it's like, okay, that's that may be true, but okay, what are the good things? Like what what is fun about this? And and that leads me on to my next question. I guess what's been the biggest achievement you guys have had and that you're really proud of and any of the kind of major milestones which you've achieved throughout your journey? Yeah. Um so I think the first really big one was a project that we set up with a customer called Coa. Um, they are a cocoa fruit juice producer from Ghana and Switzerland. And they are a B2B, so it's not necessarily a brand that a consumer would directly know, but they sell to large chocolate producers, um, for instance, to Lind or even to Ben and & Jerry's and so on. Um, and within the chocolate industry, there are a lot of also humanitarian issues and factors um, that companies look at more and more. And um, our customer had the challenge that they were paying um, really above industry average and they were very active on the ground doing a lot for the local communities, but they needed to prove that impact and that additional value that comes with the product they sell to their buyers who would then also need to be able to prove that to the consumers in order to make it economically viable throughout the whole chain. And with them, we were actually the first uh, startup to not only trace those transactions to farmers, so each individual payment for the cocoa fruit pulp that they would buy, but to actually verify it. Um, and with my little sustainability flag that I <laughs> like to carry around, um, that's something that is really, really important to me and I think to the whole Trace team is there's so many solutions out there. Just throw buzzwords in. Oh yeah, we use the blockchain technology. Everything is tamper-proof, no more problems. Um, everything uh, is you know, irreversibly stored um, and cannot be tampered with. But in the end of the day, we need to collect the information from the right source. We need to look at what it means. We need to benchmark it. Um, and sometimes just storing random information on the chain really doesn't solve the problem. And um, with that project, we were just able to show it's not only traceable, but it's verifiable because yeah. with each individual transaction, we can check with the payment provider if it really arrived with the right person and then we can benchmark it. Um, and we were able to onboard three of the customers of Coa who became our customers, who then pushed it through communications and allowed our customer to charge more money because in the end of the day, the goal is that fair and sustainable processes benefit everyone, only works if everyone collaborates, um, and if everyone understands sustainability and transparency as like an ingredient of the product, right? Not like a nice to have, but if I buy a product, that's part of it, and that's part of the value of it. I mean, I think we did a major step with that project, and we're currently transferring that to uh, cashews, macadamia, nuts, coffee, so new um, countries, new products. So that's very exciting. And of course, I have to mention that like a month ago, we just closed our series seed. Um, so I think in the current market environment and with our little size, that's a really, really big milestone as well that I'm happy about, mainly because I can refocus on these kind of projects now that it's closed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess it kind of takes one thing off your shoulders and you can then move and refocus your energy elsewhere when one thing is kind of taken care of. How amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> oh, and you know what? There was one thing which we discussed, Anna, which I was really keen to ask you about today. Um, Co-CEO. I heard you say at the beginning. Um, and you know what? I think it's probably one word I've heard quite, not a lot, but I'm hearing more often than not at the moment. I'm hearing co-CEO. I'm hearing we split the role. And I'm like, how? Um, because <laughs> I, always, I always looked at the CEO being that kind of top person who kind of does everything, right? Um, so yeah, tell me how that works. And, and also, why did you choose to split the CEO role at C-Trace? Yeah. Oh, it's actually a, a question we got from investors in the very beginning. But, um, will one of you be willing to step down for the company? And will there be like a battle of egos <laughs> and so on? Um, but yeah, Katarina and I, we decided to share the CEO role um, for many reasons. Uh, we just really complement ourselves so well um, yeah. and we know each other for our whole life um, there's never really any conflict there are certainly different opinions but uh, we've we have a very good way of discussing them and then finding a way to figure out the best way for c together yeah. um, and 
why it works or how it works is with very clear responsibilities um, and with a really good communication and also both valuing the different perspectives that we bring in. Um, I really wouldn't choose it differently. Um, I value her perspective so much in the different projects we're in and the topics we lead. Um, at the same time, she very clearly focuses on marketing and product. Um, she's been a product manager at Deloitte Digital Ventures for a few years before she started C-Trace. This is where she's super passionate. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is her field. So in the end, she will have the, the last word when it comes to these topics. Um, and I'm responsible for anything with regard to finance, sales, the strategic customer projects, like the one I mentioned. Um, and then, of course, the sustainability aspects in the product. Um, so I think these very clear roles um, make it very easy to handle, even if we have different opinions. Um, but in the end of the day, we just yeah communicate very well and pretty much always find the, the right balance. But none of us is motivated by the title itself. That's probably something everyone would say. Ah, no, I've heard differently, but <laughs> not true. <laughs> I'm taking a step back. Um, but yeah, I think none of us cares about it. Um, it's, I think if at some point we figure it doesn't make sense, uh, no one worries about changing their title and nobody cares yeah. about the C in front of their title. So I think that's, that's nice. We do it because uh, we like the way we collaborate on high level. Yeah. Yeah. And how does that work? Like if, if you don't mind me asking, does it just mean like <laughs> if a task comes in that is finance, it goes straight to you and, um, your co-CEO won't look at it. Um, or is it like a thing where it's just kind of an unspoken rule. Like I said, that that's your job and this is my job. How does it actually work and, and how do you manage that? Yeah, I mean, the way that uh, we are responsible also for the, the different teams in our organization um, is based on these roles. So it's very clear. Everyone knows um, who is responsible for what in the organization. So um, when it's marketing, when it's product, it goes directly to Katarina. And then, of course, when it's big strategic decisions, um, she involves me and we bounce the ideas um, and thoughts and then we make a decision together. But if we disagree, she will have the last say yeah. in her topics and vice versa. And anything with regard to finance lands on my desk. Um, sales, of course, in an early stage startup, the founders both have to do some sales. <laughs> so Katarina is involved, but uh, we, for example, just hired a new sales manager. Her name is Nina. She's amazing. Um, and uh, she, for example, works directly with me. And then sometimes on specific projects, we would involve Katarina. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's very clear, um, I think, for everyone who works at Citrus and for us. Yeah, yeah. And I guess for, for maybe two founders, female, male, whatever the case is, that are sitting here now thinking, okay, should we do this? Um, what's been the biggest benefit to you splitting that role? And what's been like the biggest benefit to you as individuals, but also you as a company um, in doing this, would you say? Yeah, mm, I mean, we really just are kind of sparing partners on so many topics. Um, and if you can really communicate well and um, you always are able to make a decision like in the interest of the company, um, then I think it, it can come with so many benefits to have these different perspectives, um, experiences, on eye level, um, like sometimes, for example, as I said, sometimes I struggle with my uh, stupid perfectionism that sometimes is very good as well, but sometimes <laughs> it can be, um, you know, slowing us down a little bit. Um, then Katarina comes in and is like, um, you know, maybe the one who pushes and is like, okay, Annie, enough now, you have to stop with your forecast. It's good as it is. You don't need to twist the numbers and make this look perfect anymore. Um, and then I, I really appreciate her coming in, you know, um, and telling me that. And then sometimes when it's about representation um, outside of the organization, so I guess that's a big question if you are co-CEOs, um, it's like, who do you send to the next panel discussion? Yeah. Who do you send into the podcast, right? Um, and I think there is important to split the roles as well, because you cannot put both resources into each panel and podcast. Um, but sometimes people want us to do that. Um, because of this dynamic and because it's interesting. Um, and then really we sit down and we're like, okay, well, this panel is with, uh, for example, this and this partner or this CEO from another organization. Um, and the topics are maybe around 
sustainability or you want to share about the projects we work on, then maybe I will go into the panel. Yeah. But if it is more focused around marketing, then my co-founder will go into the panel. Yeah. Um, so I think these decisions, really, you have to like put your ego in the cave <laughs> and yeah. make the decision in, in the interest of the company. And then it can be super valuable. And I, I really wouldn't. I wouldn't change it, but I also trust her a million percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess you, you have to really know the person well and how the person works with to, to do that. But if you do, it can work very well. Yeah. Cause you said tr- trust there. And I think trust comes into a massive part, I guess, you know, being a, being a founder and being co-founders is like being married to a certain extent. <laughs> yes. You have to really trust that person and, and what they're doing and the interests they have. Um, otherwise you won't, feel that comfortable letting them do that job right so yeah trust is a massive part I feel yeah absolutely yeah. I signed that <laughs> <laughs> oh and you know on to the topic of funding you mentioned that you've actually recently just closed your seed funding which is super exciting and I'm sure you know the stats for um, female uh, founders is pretty low let's be honest um, I think in the UK only one percent of funding goes to venture goes to um, uh, female entrepreneurs. Uh, not to mention, I actually recently read an article uh, which showed dozens of women are leading VCs due to various reasons, which for me could be part of the problem, but it's not the only part of the problem. Um, so yeah, I guess as a, as someone who has just recently raised uh, raised funding as a female founder, I hate to say it again. Um, how did you? <laughs> in this process especially given the current situation in the market right we know how hard it is anyway as a company to get funding how was this for you yeah i mean i just this morning i read a study from the technical university of munich uh, from last year about uh, founders in france and germany um and like you know i think around 10 percent in both markets are female founded startups and then if you look at the tech space we're in it's much less even. Um, so I guess like a max of 6% somewhere there. So I guess that's the first reason for little money going into female founders um, is that there aren't as many, which uh, we have to change and start very early on um, in education. But yeah, for us, there are a lot of uh, things or I think there are some nuances that I have experienced. Uh, one, one thing I always remember is when we went into our first funding round, um and we had the first discussions with investors and i was experienced with like finance because i was teaching finance and so on doing forecasts and all of this but i wasn't experienced in fundraising for a startup um so when you do that for the first time you get really excited if someone wants to invest money into your idea and you have to learn quickly that (laughs) money isn't everything and that what you are bringing to the table is quite something as well or hopefully it Um, So when I started and we went into the first um, negotiations or like investment talks and we sent out our business plan and our forecasts, um, they were too realistic for the market. And I realized that in one call where an investor was like, we were having a discussion about the business plan. Um, I was like, yeah, this is what we can. We are bold, but realistic in the forecast. Um, I really believe we achieve this by that and that and that. And it's thought through. And they were like, yeah, but you know that these forecasts are like divided by 10 because we know it's only air and everyone, you know, just says whatever in their forecast. And I was sitting there, I was like, oh, well, (laughs) now that I know, I can turn it into an advantage. Yeah. Probably, at least with, I think, the kind of investors that I want to have in my cap table. Yeah. But I need to be aware of it. So I realized sometimes as a female founder, you just have to be even more bold and even even a little more smart about these nuances and you need to know them uh, so that you can turn them into an advantage. And I feel like sometimes we have to be smart and confident in areas or topics that have nothing to do with our business, which can be a little bit annoying. But in this case, I learn, and it's still a process, um, to not multiply my forecast by 10, <laughs> but instead go into the conversation right away and and know about it and be like okay i know you expect this but we do it differently yeah if you talk to us we do not want to sell air but we want to you know talk about what we believe uh, can happen if we work together yeah and i can twist it but it took me a little bit of time and then of course you run into these situations comments like 
every female, I think, in the business context has experienced that wherever you are founder or not, but something worse, but something like, uh, oh, how can you look like this and be so smart? Well, I've heard this in investment talks, you know, um, and then you just and, and far worse, <laughs> just very inappropriate suggestions or comments. Um, and you just need. You will meet idiots everywhere. Everyone will, wherever you're female or male. And as yeah. a female, I think just sometimes you have to be really confident with your situations. And sometimes you just have to say no to certain contexts. Um, and maybe if it's a larger business context where one person is like this, but you're in touch with 10 of the organization, you need to be confident enough to address it. Then sometimes you need to risk the business relationship. I think this, these are things that happen really, really rarely, um, but they happen. Um, and I think um, then it's, it takes some experience to handle them confidently in the moment that they happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had a, a discussion where I was introduced um, before I went into my pitch and the person who introduced me was really trying to, to be on my side and to say something positive. Um, and he would say, well, let me introduce you these, uh, this female founded startup. And he was already emphasizing the female a lot in the introduction. And then he said, honestly, they, the founders can be pretty bossy, um, but da, da, da. So what do you do in a moment like this, right? You're in a room with a hundred investors and they're all male. Um, <laughs> and you get a comment like this as an introduction. Now, my intuition again goes, oh, you mean confident and professional? Thank you very much for the compliment. Yes. <laughs> that would be my intuition. But then what happens is that I don't 90% of the people in the room would think, hmm, she is pretty bossy, actually. <laughs> so what I did in this case is like talk to that person in private afterwards. Um, but yeah, it takes a lot of confidence to handle these situations and experience, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I hear about that all the time. I hear similar conversations, I hear similar comments. And it's crazy that in 2023, we're still going through this and we're still having the same thing uh, or the same conversation. But yeah, it's like, when will this change? When will the narrative change for female founders? And when will the experiences be different? I don't know what's going to take it to change, you know? Yeah, but it's a process. And you know, we all have these biases in us, yeah. like wherever you're female or male. And um, I think most of the time people don't mean bad, but it really takes a conversation around it um, to drive that change and, you know, um, to internalize that for everyone. So I think we're, as a founder, and when you have a certain position, you have a responsibility to speak up. Yeah. Um, and that I realize a lot, like in the situation with investors or when I, I see one person is doing weird things, that I need to address it, even if I can handle it and say, okay, I'm not interested in working with you, bye. I still should address it and escalate yeah. it because it needs to change and not everyone is maybe as comfortable handling the situation um, or maybe it goes even a step further in others. Yeah, yeah, totally. And you know, what milestones do you hope to achieve with this funding? What do you plan to do with it? I think getting funding is such a great achievement, but it can be quite overwhelming with all this money. Like, what do I actually do with it? Um, so yeah, what are your plans with the new with the new funding? And yeah, what do you hope to achieve with it? Yeah, so I think um, two things, of course, we have uh, now that we have a product, and we started commercialization last year. Um, it's definitely not a product that's just done. Uh, we yeah. didn't decide to produce cookies, <laughs> um, but we are really building a, a complex platform. So it's two things. On the one hand, it's uh, really engaging in those customer and strategic projects. And um, for us, we realized that with some partners, we have a lot of multiplication effects, both upstream and downstream the chain. Um, and our goal within those 12 to 18 months until the next funding round um, really is to kind of transfer these projects that we have had with small to mid-sized companies where the supply chains are not as complex to the large sized organizations so that we can start driving change within them. Yeah. Um, and for that, we need the use case with those that are willing to go there um, and that have really close collaboration in their chain so that we can show the whole market, well, look, it's possible and you should do better and you have to do better because in five to 10 years, you simply won't stand on the market anymore if you don't do better. Yeah. Um, so we're currently working on like two very big strategic projects that involve 
suppliers, brands, and retailers. Yeah. Um, and that is one of the two main goals. Then, of course, we have to push the product. Um, we're currently working on really complex features for like multi-component and complex supply chains, um, impact verification mechanisms, and especially also tracking the impact on the farmer level. So in the very first mile of the supply chain. And to achieve both, we need to grow our team, yeah. um, marketing, sales, um, and push our features. We have TWIP, who is one of our investors. It's an impact-driven tech investor as well, who now push a few features with us through the next month and help us uh, put them on the market even quicker. So nice. I think those are the, the main focus areas. Main goals. Amazing. And I guess what advice would you give to, to kind of female entrepreneurs struggling to raise funding in this kind of current climate? or deciding to go for funding, what advice would you give based on your experience uh, that you would say really helped you and could really help others going through the similar, going through a similar thing? Yeah, um, I think, I mean, probably there are a few nuances as a female founder, but I think it's similar advice that I would give to any founder. Um, I was recently at an event called The Tribe, um, that was organized by Ananda, Inu, and Extantia, which are different impact funds. Yeah. Um, and they kind of launched this initiative because they said, as a founder, you really need a tribe. And I like like-minded people, sparing partners, people you can you know discuss difficult subjects with. Um, and I think I haven't really found my, or I didn't really find my own tribe within the impact field. And I realized that because I have a lot of mentors, a lot of people around me that I call when I need help. I'm still in touch with my previous bosses, with my mentors from kind of all the organizations I worked in. And I value that a lot. But I realized I didn't really have this kind of tribe or group that is also active in the sustainability sphere or that really build companies with impact at the core of their business model. Um, and that's something that I would advise anyone who wants to start a startup in the impact world or not is to really find an ecosystem with like-minded people that you can always um, yeah, touch base with uh, on whatever topic it is. Um, so I, I met a founder there, for example, of a, a impact startup in the healthcare field. Um, and I recently called him because of some things I was doing in hiring, um, you know, salaries, negotiations, uh, getting an external agency to support you with that and so on. And it's so helpful and it's so good um, to discuss, you know, founder health and what you do yeah, and so on yeah. with, with others. Um, for me, it's also definitely choose the people you work with very wisely. Um, most important. Um, and then personally, I also need to find a balance uh, beyond work. I think it's super important. Um, yeah. You do not do that seven days a week, 24 uh, seven. Sometimes you have to, uh, but for me, for example, my kind of balance is dancing. So it's my creative and physical um, yeah. balance that I need. Um, and I try to do that and I do it still a lot. And I think that keeps me sane as well. Um, yeah. So I think that's, yeah. I wouldn't give that up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. And you mentioned there that you kind of seek some some kind of help from a mentor um, on when it came to hiring. Of course, mentoring is a massive, massive topic, I think. And I and I do think we often don't talk about it enough, um, especially as a female founder, uh, but equally just as individuals itself. I think it's really good to have people around you that you that can actually help and you can be inspired by. So, yeah, I mean, how have you found it and what's been your kind of main go to when it comes to mentoring uh, and the whole topic for you, for you as a business? How have you found it? Yeah, I think mentoring or having mentors, people that believe in you, that inspire you is so important. Um, I realized that throughout anything I did, I was so lucky to mostly have at least one person that really, really believed in me. Yeah. Um, that was the case when I started dancing. I became a dance teacher when I was 16 um, and my teacher pushed me so early on. And I have so many mentors in the dance space, for example, um, that have inspired me and pushed me all the time. When I was a student, I had some professors that uh, pushed me to do like the tutorium. So to give small classes, to work for them. 
um, I became, because of them, or say because they supported me and believed in me, I became a teacher right after I uh, stopped my studies. I became a lecturer at university. Um, so yeah, and then even when I stumbled into real estate, when I lived in Spain, um, I just finished my high school. I arrived there um, and I worked as a dance teacher and I was applying for a job at a dance school. And then uh, the husband of the owner of the dance school would call me and say, hey, we already have a dancer, but how about something else? <laughs> and I was like, mm, okay, I have zero experience, but why not? And I don't know, he just took a leap of faith in me and he was like, you speak four languages, that's great, we need that. Um, I was like, okay, sure, I'm currently working uh, as a waitress for three years, 50 an hour, so I will totally try. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I went into that and, you know, it just really took that one person to to teach me um, and to believe in me. Um, and then I was one of the best sales person in that American investment firm internationally within a few months. So I learned how important it is and how much it can give. Um, and now at C-Trace or in this space that I'm in, I have a lot of different mentors. So I keep in touch with everyone I worked with before. So for example, in the big data firm, in Paris uh, that I was an intern um, in. I'm still in touch with the head of the international department um, yeah. who has become a, a close friend of mine. Um, and the same case for the founder of the startup in the fintech space that I worked for. Um, so I think it's really important to, to keep that close um, and to have people that you can look up to and that you can also challenge your ideas with. Yeah. Um, when we started C-Trace, we met the head of sustainability of Kerry, which is one of the biggest kind of ingredient suppliers um, in the UK, who has mentored us um, ever since. Wow. Um, so that was very helpful as well. Wow, wow, wow. Such a, such an important topic. Like I said, I think we don't speak about it enough. And I think it's really important that we do find people that around us that can help us. It's not a bad thing to ask for help. It's not a bad thing to, to kind of learn from others. And I think the more we do that, the more acceptable it will kind of be. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone I talk to, like every founder um, who has, you know, gone through the close to burnout situation and who has, you know, experienced it all, they all say, do you have mentors? Yeah. <laughs> do you have someone that you regularly check in with? Because yeah. it, it's just important. You, you have to learn so much on the go um, and you are faced with so many uncertainties, um, new challenges. Um, and I think if you have someone who has done that before, even to just check in on you once a month, yeah, um, that might just change everything. Or they might say one sentence that will make you tackle the topic in a way yeah. rather than running around it for a year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and of course, lastly, hiring is a topic which, um, let's be honest, is a massive thing for uh, founders. I know you mentioned that now with your funding, with your funding, sorry, you plan to grow your team. Uh, and I'm sure you could maybe maybe understand and agree the market right now is crazy and it's really, really hard to find the right talent, especially in a startup. How have you found the whole hiring process or hiring as a founder? Because it is hard, right? It is a very, very hard thing to knuckle down on. Yes, Absolutely. Um, finding the right talent and then if you found not the right fit for your team to then also be willing to you know let them go quickly because it will hurt the others and it will hurt your business um, that's something I had to learn uh, which was very difficult because in the first hire that we we had to let someone go and I think it was clear quite quickly that it wasn't the right fit you know a lot of people yeah. think that working in a startup is only great um, and they come from the corporate world and they have focus on like very specific topics and so on. And then they come into the startup world and they have to learn to prioritize. Um, and some people love that and are made for that and can really strive in these environments. And for others, it's overwhelming and it's not yeah. their space. Um, and I had the situation and I had so many feedback talks and I was kind of like doubting my leadership style. I was like, Ah, maybe okay give them more space give them more guidance give them this give them that involve my co-founder and so on yeah um, and I, I dragged that in the first of these cases I dragged it too long uh, which I needed to learn you know I need to think of what's good for the company and if it's clear that 
you made a wrong decision and yeah. you that as quickly as possible. And then the hiring process itself, um, we've been trying to do that internally yeah. first, but we don't have a person on HR full-time. Oh. Um, and we realized also talking to, to friends of us and of ours, we realized that we need to find support externally, yeah. um, especially for the key positions. So positions like the technical lead um, or also our uh, marketing lead that looks like we found someone now. <laughs> but we've been looking for a long time. Yeah. We've involved so many people in our organization and so many resources um, yeah. that I think sometimes it makes sense to invest into someone to support you with this who is full time on it. Um, and then in terms of finding diverse um, talent, I think we, we're doing a good job overall. Right now we are 50-50, a female male. Um, and that's only one of the many categories one should look at, uh, of course. But in tech, it's really hard. Yeah. Um, finding female talent in tech is really difficult. And so right now our head of sales is a woman and then we have the two co-CEOs. But the technical team are three people at the moment. We always try to find female uh, talent in tech, but that's really hard. You could just get so little applications uh, yeah. that are good. And then with the little resources that you have, um, you of course need to hire the best talent. And if you just receive so few uh, female applicants, it's really difficult. Um, but there are many things you can do. And more and more we realize that in the hiring process, like I mentioned in the beginning, um, especially women say, well, We've seen this is female that we've seen the cause. Yeah. Um, we've heard a podcast. Yeah. Um, and we really want to work with a female leadership or like a diverse leadership. Um, and I think that helps us and uh, starts helping us more and more. Yeah, yeah. And, and like I said, I think it's no no shy away from saying that hiring is hard, whether you're a startup or a larger corporation. But I think more so in startups, the resources are limited, like you said. Uh, the time is limited because you might need someone today. <laughs> um, yeah. It's crazy in a sense where, yeah, it does take a lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of people being getting involved. Uh, not to mention, like you said, in tech, there's not enough female engineers out there in, in the tech world. So looking for diverse talent in tech in itself is, is a job is, is like a full-time mm -hmm. role so yeah it's it's crazy and I could and I could see the the kind of issues I mean what's been the biggest struggle for you would you say it's been the resources the capacity what's been the biggest issue with hiring or not issue maybe mm -hmm. the biggest struggle or challenge yeah I think uh really just finding the right people yeah. um we've taken a long time to actively headhunt as well so we were basically just putting um some ads into some job platforms for yeah. a long time and then just scanned through so many applications so yeah. so many and so much of it is complete nonsense um we've had <laughs> the funniest stories in this process but i think uh, everyone knows that who has ever done some hiring um yeah. and uh then yeah just the resources really I mean who does it nobody specialized on it so everyone who is in a certain department will take the hiring over for that department um, and then it takes time to get into that to ask the right questions to build the uh, in the interviews to build the right cases so all of that takes a lot of time and a lot of learning and then each department is different yeah so in marketing you know marketing people are so different you have the brand people, the more creative people, and then you have those who are more analytical, more numbers driven. Um, and you need to figure out as an organization, what do you need now? You only yeah. have one position to fill, so they need to be hands on, but they need to be strategic at the same time. Um, so all of this, uh, I think, is a constant journey to learn yeah. about. Um, but yeah, especially the key roles, it's not easy. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, not everyone knows us yet. Yeah. We're working on yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And we try to go through these kind of like impact-focused networks. Um, but sometimes the very experienced people, or there are a lot of junior people in these networks. Yeah. Um, so finding someone who's like driven by the cause, but has the respective level of experience and is willing to work in early stage. Yeah. It's a combination that isn't easy to find. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. And I guess there probably are so many other founders out there, like I said, male, female, um, are probably going for a very similar issue at that kind of early stage. What what would you say is the biggest piece of advice you would give them? And would you suggest to kind of seek external help? What's been, yeah, what, what have you done? And, and what would you say they should do struggling with this? I think prioritizing HR generally very early on is probably yeah. the most important advice. And that's a huge topic, right? Yeah. Um, because it's not only about finding the right talent, but it's also about keeping the right talent, yeah. uh, allowing them to grow. You know, it's it's huge. And I realized that um, it's not necessarily a function that a founder would prioritize. Hiring someone for HR, for example, or yeah. spending a lot of money for an agency to do that. Um, but I think with most people I talk with, wherever that's hiring someone internal or working with an external uh, party, um, we all come to the same conclusion. We need to prioritize it and we need to invest into it because yeah. otherwise we will waste so much resources on not finding the right people. Yeah. Um, and right now we have like a lot of people in our little organization uh, that want to drive these processes. So for, for example, our backend developer um, is pushing a 360 degrees feedback um, culture and like structure. So it, it's really nice because for us, everyone kind of comes in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like uh, wearing those hats. And but yeah. of course, we very soon need someone who takes care of these things full time. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, make it a priority, I would say, very early on. And if your gut feeling says it's not the right person, don't. Like rather... <laughs> Just don't go for it yeah. <laughs> because sometimes you get so desperate if you don't find the right person and you need them so fast, but in the end, it will, it will just make everything worse if you hire the wrong person and it will happen anyways. And then you need to yeah. deal with it, yeah. um, but try to avoid it if possible. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, don't settle for it if you're not sure. I yeah. think uh, that's a, a big learning. We did that and then it wasn't nice for anyone. I mean, we... Um, we all agreed that it wasn't the right fit and that it was fine. Um, but I think with some more experience in finding the right people and identifying the right people, we maybe could have avoided one of these cases. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think yeah. that would be my advice. <laughs> oh, amazing. No, I think such great advice. And, and honestly, thanks, Anna, for joining and kind of sharing your story. I think it's really important to yeah just really shine a light on on the successes within tech and as a female founder and as a founder in general because I think it's really important that we do see and hear more of these stories thank you it was a pleasure talking to you and sharing mm -hmm.